Girl, who's surprised that in the gay hate crime doc, I know like three people on this thing. Not not me. Not a me. <laughs> not a me. Hi, Julian Ben. Julian Benzavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Hi, Julian Benzavale. Hi, my voice is doing a weird thing today. I don't oh. know what it is. I can't explain it. I don't know how to fix it. It's just, I feel very like. Uh, you sound great. You look do great. I? You oh, just, thanks. yeah. yeah. I, um, Steve Tipton said that we should say that this is a True Crime Obsessed podcast where we, where we recap true crime documentaries. Okay, Steve Tipton. I know. Are people sitting here being like, who's What, what is now? this? What's going on? <laughs> um, fam, come to Obsessed Fest. It's like right around the corner. It's right. It's right there. It is October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas. It's all your favorite true crime podcasters, live tapings, drag brunch, yeah. drag bingo, your Taylor Swift sing-along, yep. karaoke, yep. all the programming. Just lots, lots and lots and lots going on. Lots and I'm signing every last book. That's oh, great. my That's my plan. Amazing. Um, before we get into this, there's rules that we have to tell. What, what do we have to say? ID sent us this. They asked us if we wanted to cover it. We love ID. Hi, Debbie. We love Hi, you. Hi, Debbie. We said yes, and they sent it to us. So tell them what they need, what we need to tell them. So this is out on ID. I believe it came out yesterday, October 9th, but as of the 17th, it will be on what we're calling Max. Yes, that's like the HBO thing, right? Yeah, it's HBO Max, but it's Max. Okay. Whatever. Did we tell them what we're talking about today? It's called Matthew Shepard and American Hate Crime. A student was out riding his mountain bike and he sees what he thinks is a scarecrow. You're insulted in your soul at what you see when you first come on something like that. This is a sign of rage, something very personal, something very terrifying about that. Did he seem remorseful? Not at all. Not at all. It was a gruesome discovery at this fence. A gay man, barely alive tonight. I think we all recognized pieces of ourselves in this story. At 12.53 a.m. this morning, Matthew Shepard died. I was devastated by Matthew's death. My soul ate. It reminded me how much hate there is out there. We're in Laramie, Wyoming. I feel like we've been there a bunch. Yeah. It's October 7th, 1998, 623 p.m. The mm-hmm. first voice we hear is of Officer Reggie Flutie. Yep. I'm just going to say this from the top. There's a play called The Laramie Project that dives into this hate crime. And, and they, the actors went out there and did interviews with all the people of the town. And so the townspeople are characters in the play. Sure. And one of them is this Reggie Flutie, who was the first person on the scene after the person who found Matthew's body. Right. And Matthew had been found out on the plains by a University of Wyoming student. He He'd been out riding his mountain bike. He falls down, looks up, sees what he thinks is a scarecrow yep. because of the way Matt was tied with yeah. his hands behind his back God. to like a, a fence. He thinks it's a prank because it's around Halloween and he goes over to investigate and he's horrified to see that it's actually a human being. Yeah. And Reggie says, you know, because we have a lot of audio, we have like a lot of interviews, we have a lot of recordings. Yeah. And you, Reggie says, you know, when you see this horrible sight, she says you're insulted to your soul. Rosie O'Donnell, there's like celebrities in this. Yeah. My dear friend, Rosie O'Donnell. No, I'm just kidding, but I do love her. Yeah. She gives us a little bit of like, there was so much of the myth of Matthew Shepard mm. when this all happened. Yeah. She talks about like remembering learning about the biker who found him thinking it was a scarecrow. There was a deer that stayed with Matthew all night. The deer that was keeping him company all night. And when he was found, the deer got up and ran away. There's just a, and a feeling of divinity around him. There's a feeling of an angelic presence. 
there's a, a feeling of divinity around Matthew Shepard. And like an angelic presence. He's like this little guy mm. and he had blue eyes, but yeah. also braces. Yeah. Even Enormous though he was like smile. an adult. Yeah. yeah. So there was just this, this feeling, this like angelic feeling about yeah. him. And we meet his friends too. So that he has two, two like main friends yes. are here to, uh, not to say that in an insulting way, but like yes. the two friends Jim we and see Romaine. the most. Jim and Romaine, Jim Osborne and Romaine Patterson. So Romaine, I wrote a book with okay. years ago. Yes. I, you know this. Oh okay. my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I wrote a book with, I wrote Romaine's book where she, it was like her autobiography about being Matthew's friend. And it's funny in this documentary, there's a whole part where Romaine and Matthew moved to Denver together, which is what the whole book is. And it's completely left out yeah. of this documentary. Oh wow. So if you want to like fill in the blank, you can, I don't, I think you can get a copy of it somewhere. Right. So you wrote her autobiography together. Yes. You and her. Wow. Exactly. That's exactly. Cool. But Jim is saying the way that Matt was found with his hands tied behind his back. It was a bloody, gory mess. It's they horrifying. really beat him yeah. senseless. And Jim is saying this is a sign of like real rage, something very personal. Like, And for, you know, gay people, there's something, I mean, for anybody, of course, but because we're talking about a gay person, that's terrifying, mm-hmm. you know? Of course. They tell us about the crime scene. There was shoe impressions. There was blood spatter throughout the entire scene showing the viciousness of the attack. I mean, we had DNA evidence. We had latent evidence. Reggie Flutie actually saw a University of Wyoming identification laying on the ground with his photograph and the name of Matthew Shepard on it. With his photograph and it says the name Matthew Shepard. And that's how they get his name. And then another name for you. Andrew Reynolds is here. Hi, Andrew Reynolds. Hi, Andrew Reynolds. They sprinkle the celebrities in here. And sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. Yeah, well, it's (laughs) nice. So Andrew Reynolds is here. He's an actor, if you you don't know who he is. And also an activist. And he's reading. Matthew wrote a lot of letters to his mother. So Andrew's here to tell his experience growing up in Nebraska. And we'll get to that. And also like as just a a gay man in the world. But he's also reading these letters. And we... (laughs) That we can get like get more of Matthew through those, and also seeing his handwriting. You know know, what I mean? Like, like I don't know if it was the same for you, but when this happened for me as a gay person, it and like the fact that the world cared about it. Mm. Matthew Shepard became like an icon so quickly that like to see his actual personal effects is kind of like oh my god. Yeah, because you of course you're seeing the letter as Andrew's speaking, so it's like you know you see his handwriting. Yeah, like written cursive. I've I've been okay, kind of homesick. You know the weather sucks. Yeah. This is his mom and Mrs. Home. And then it's like, love you, Matthew. And uh-huh. you're like, oh my God. I know. Hey, guess who's here? Eric Marcus Eric is Marcus here. Eric Marcus from the Making Gay History podcast. And also, he wrote a blurb for my book. He's very nice. He gives us the historical context. And he just says that Matthew Wayne Shepard was born on December 1st, 1976. And even though he was a little guy, he had a huge personality. Matthew was a very emotional kid, very empathetic. Very sensitive, very perceptive. Yeah, sensitive, perceptive. They don't say what historian, because they say that we get the on-screen text. In 2011, a historian was hired by the state of Wyoming to conduct audio interviews with key participants in the Matthew Shepard case, which is why we have all of this audio from, like, Judy and Dennis. Which is so amazing that they did. I mean, like, the the Tectonic Theater Project is the one who did the Laramie Project, and they did the same thing. They went and interviewed every single person in the town, whether they were connected to the case or not. Right. 
I love that Wyoming took the initiative mm-hmm. to preserve yeah. the memories of the people who were actually there in this very, very important historic murder that made a lot of difference and, and change. Right. And to keep the story going to educate people and just sort of show that the, like there was this moment in history that everyone needs to know about. Yeah. And like the parents just, you know, they they tell us about Matt. They, a lot of his friends were girls. They trusted him. He was kind to them. He had some friends who were boys, but the mom says it wasn't a rough and tumble kind of relationship. Right, right, right. We also meet Sarah Burlingham. Yeah, she's great. Do not fuck with her. No, she's, she's from awesome. Equality Wyoming. Yeah, she's the executive like, director. Not for profit LGBTQ warriors yeah. are not to be trifled. She's with. amazing, and she says like the entire state of Wyoming is one big sleepy town. Yes. Like they're but they're geographically enormous. We're the tenth largest state in the country, but we have the smallest population. In 1998, even though we're watching Will and Grace. We are the most conservative state in America. We were still the most conservative state in America. Right. Think of what they're trying to do is is paint a picture. Like this is where these gay, Romaine, Jim, Matthew, they all lived in as gay people. They lived in the most conservative state in the nation. Right. That's fucking hard. Yeah. You know, like I was saying to my therapist the other day, like I've never known that kind of struggle. No. And also there's a difference between like thinking you're going to be okay watching an episode of Will and Grace and then also like standing up for what's right when everyone's looking at you. You know, like watching something on Thursday night in the comfort of your living room and like trying to learn about it is much different than like walking the walk out in the world. (laughs) 100%. Totally. So Judy, Matt's mom tells us that when Matt was about eight, they began to wonder if he was gay. His favorite Halloween costume was Dolly Parton. I mean. Like that is amazing. I mean, she's she's always been an icon. I know. (laughs) She's always been a little like, ooh, you kind of know like, oh, you love Dolly? Oh, you're good people. I okay. Totally. I guess it's just the big hair and the hat and but some like stunning, like bejeweled outfit, I guess, 100%. for Dolly. Yeah, uh, my question nails. is like, where were they when eight-year-old Matt was like, I want that Dolly Parton costume. Right. And the mom was like, okay. I wonder though yeah. if he just raided her closet. Maybe. As Wyoming. Maybe. I feel like yeah. there are plenty of yeah. bedazzled, bejeweled <laughs> cowboy hats to choose from. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It feels like that's kind of the place to go. That makes sense to me. You know, she said like, you just sort of learn how to be the parent for the kid that you have. It's a learn as you go. Sure. You know what I mean? Do I love going to rock climbing every Saturday? No. Do I do it? Yes. Right. Have I learned to love it? Not yet. Okay. Am I assuming that I will? Cause Judy says yes. Right. But you love Daisy. The point is yeah. mm-hmm. we've been through this before. You love <laughs> Daisy. So you love it. Exactly. And she's so good at it. Right. Like, you know what I mean? She loves it. She's enjoying it. She's thriving. Yes. So if, what are you going to say? No, you learn to accept the things you might not have accepted otherwise, which is what Judy is saying. Yeah. My dad listened to a lot of Fiona Apple in the car. Okay. <laughs> That's a good dad. Right. That's a he, real he good dad. He always let me have, he's like, is it going to be something I like? Or is it going to be, cause we shared a lot of music taste. Like, uh-huh. is it going to be queen? You married your dad. You married your <laughs> no. dad. Yes. The we, way you talk about that playlist that you and Mike have that you have to add a song to by the oh, end of the that's song. that's a fun game. That's yeah. like you're describing car trips with your dad. <laughs> no, it would be like Fiona Apple title. Fiona Apple yeah. won the pawn. Fiona Apple. <laughs> Romaine Patterson tells us there's no denying that Matthew was gay and he knew that. Like if you looked at Matthew, you saw a gay man. There was not a, there was not even an ounce of straight there. 
There was not an ounce of straight in there. I see a lot of myself in him. Oh, man. Wow. I know. (laughs) And also another, this is just like littered with like badass women too. Yeah. Andrea Marks is here and she's a crime journalist. And in 1993, she tells us a lot about like the facts of Matthew's life before we get to this horrible point. In 1993, Matthew was a sophomore in high school and his dad gets a job in Saudi Arabia with an oil company. And like Matthew didn't go with the family. He went to an American school in Switzerland, but his whole family, like they all leave Wyoming and just go their separate ways. In the middle of high school. Yeah. Like the, and, but, you know, the dad says that, like, this Swiss boarding school was an amazing experience for him. He's traveling. Yeah. He called the parents and being like, hey, dad, it's a weekend. We're going to Venice. Right. Like, okay, bye. Like, I'm just going to hop the train to, I don't know, fill in amazing <laughs> city here. Norway. Sure. <laughs> Stockholm. Right. So we learned that in the second semester of Matt's senior year, he and his friends go to Morocco. So we, if you're thinking this is a repeat, it's not. We did a Matthew Shepard documentary a couple years ago. That sure. was a documentary made by his friend. And she was with him on this trip. Yeah. And they say Morocco wasn't as tourist friendly as it is now. Maybe it wasn't as safe or whatever. Right. But Romaine Patterson tells us one night Matt went out by himself and she says it was a very Matt thing to do to right. just sort of like explore, explore and go off on your own and, you know, maybe think you're safer than you than you are. And while he was out, he was snatched in Morocco. A couple of men took Matthew to a isolated place and raped him. He was sexually assaulted by this group of men. And the thing that... And they took his shoes. Uh, they, right. they, they left him out in the middle of nowhere and took his shoes. And the thing is, Matthew told everyone. He told people right away. He told his parents. He told police. Yeah. And what, like, just one of the many infuriating things is that, like, we have... They got away. We have no idea who the, did this. They're just, like, in the wind. They're in the lives. wind. Romaine said... It's so... I remember having extensive conversations with Romaine about this. Yeah. Because we were trying to figure out how she wanted to write about sure. it. Or whatever. But she says now... At the time, the idea of a young gay man being raped by adult men, mm. people couldn't fathom it. It's like the Menendez brothers. Like, of course. People couldn't fathom that the dad was actually sexually abusing uh-huh. his male sons. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the reasons why these men got away. Like, were they really looked for? Was Matthew believed? The conversation is very, it makes people very uncomfortable. And yeah. the details of it and the fact that, you know, I'm not, I don't know what happened, but I would think that having these conversations and investigating something like this was what people weren't really interested in doing. Yeah, and Eric Marcus tells us, you know, after the attack, Matt wasn't himself. He said, like, he Matt lost a sense of safety in the world. When s- something like that can happen to you and you don't get the help that you need or, sure. or whatever, like Eric says, you lose your sense of safety. Yeah, and Liam Cudmore from Queer Therapy NYC. I, like, love this person. I was di- I need to look them up. Love, and they tell us, like, just talking about trauma and trauma that's tied to assault and yeah. trauma just in general has such a long lasting impact yep. on on a person and so what that means for Matthew to just sort of navigate the world because having it, this ha- happen to him it manifests for Matt exactly the way that Liam says it will mm-hmm. we see it kind of throughout like Romaine his friend describes him as like being manic sometimes and depressed sometimes like super high highs very low lows yes and when he was depressed it was like really bad like Matt was a, a guy that really cared about his appearance and you would know that he was really struggling when he would like be unshaven mm-hmm. and his clothes weren't ironed and right. this assault really stayed with him. Right. And so in 1995, Matthew graduates from high school and he comes back to the U.S. And this is when he comes out to his mom. Yeah. And like Jim is telling us that he felt really comfortable in his skin. He was comfortable being out. And it's like Eric Marcus, the historian, is saying to us that like by the 90s, good things were happening in our culture gay wise. In the late 90s, there was a great kind of boom for gay people. There was more representation on television. Ellen had come out. People fell in love with Jack on Will and Grace. 
I think middle America was becoming more comfortable you know, with the thought that there are gay people out there and that they are just regular people. Middle America becomes more comfortable with the idea that gay people exist and that they are just people, but it still wasn't completely safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I think Will and Grace came out, like, in the late night in 1998, but the point is that, like, there were still, you know, Ellen DeGeneres yeah. and RuPaul and, and like, Philadelphia was huge. That was, movie is was huge It was huge, for the but time. there was a ton of indie gay cinema that you Tons. could see. Like, The Advocate magazine. Like, there was... There was but I'm a Cheerleader. Oh, too. my Remember, God. But I'm a Cheerleader. Yeah. Natasha Leon. Yep. I mean, clear of all. Yeah. I remember going through this too. It went from never seeing gay people anywhere represented mm-hmm. to seeing them a lot of places. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. And so Matthew ends up in his hometown of Casper and he's introduced to Romaine through the yeah. through a counselor or a therapist. And the therapist is just like, hey, I have this 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 person that I think you should meet and I think you'd be really good for each other. And Romaine's like, cool. So they become friends and Romaine's like, we totally took him under our weight. Like Romaine and her crew yes, yes. totally welcomed in Matthew. And she's like, you're one of us now. And like things were going so well for him. He had a group. He was so lucky that Romaine was so welcoming. It was yeah. like, send him over, yeah. you know. And Jim tells us a little bit about that. So when Matthew moves to Laramie, he enrolls in the University of Wyoming. And so... Matthew and his friends were putting together the Gay Awareness Week for 1998. Yeah. And they had this weekly meeting and afterwards they'd always go out to the Village Inn. Like that was sort of their, their whole thing. And we see it. I we was like, oh, that place looks great. It was like an IHOP. Yeah. And Jim tells us like we would do our thing, we would organize, and then we would always go out like yeah. for a bite after. It was just like their little weekly hang. Yes. It, like the way it's described, it might sound really, I don't know, small, but it felt very sweet and just like how nice to have a crew. Like sometimes totally. when, you, when, you're, when you're feeling like an outsider, like to have a little hang with like-minded people that like you could set your watch to yeah. to like know that like all right well on Wednesday nights we're we're doing our gay awareness week hang yeah. and then going to the village inn and like I have that totally that's so valuable and even Jim describing meeting Matthew that he just like saw him standing in front of the student union and just like looked interesting and Matt was yeah. the kind of guy that would talk to anybody and like really focus on you and make you really feel like the only person in the room yeah you know right they like loved each other they did so on this particular night, it's October 6th, and yeah. everyone leaves the Village Inn, and Matthew wants to stay out, so he goes yeah. to the Fireside Lounge. Which is just like, the bar is still there, but it's called something else now. My friend Chris took a trip to Wyoming just to go to just this bar. Just to go? I'm sure. I was thinking about it's that. Like that it's like a pilgrimage thing. Yeah. And Jim has always said to me that if I ever came to Laramie, he would take me out to the site of, Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Because it's kind of hard to find out because the fence isn't there anymore. Right, right, right. But it is very much on my list of things to do, to go out there and go to the Fireside and go out to the Area. They don't have a like a, a no. memorial or something. No, according site? to Jim, it's on private property, and okay. the people aren't interested in that because they they don't want like to, they don't want it to become a tourist destination. Oh wow! It's like, sir, donate <sighs> like three square feet of your land. Yeah, there's a difference between this and like I don't know, living in the Breaking Bad house, and people would throw pizzas on exactly, your roof, exactly. which is what happened. There's and, a slight difference. And Vince Gilligan had to make like, like, a statement and be that. like, "Please stop throwing pizzas on these people's roots, roofs in Albuquerque." <laughs> like, please, um, that's different. That's like, no, I wish I wish my house looked different yeah. so that I don't get the Breaking Bad fanatics. This is like too big of a deal. Apparently, Jim says there's a stop sign very right at the turnoff where you drive down the dirt road and that they turn the stop sign into okay. a memorial. Okay, you at know, least there's kind something, of. you know? Yeah. And so Eric Marcus kind of takes us through the timeline. So it's 10.30 p.m. on October 6th. And Eric Marcus is saying, I can only imagine that Matthew felt perfectly safe walking into the Fireside Lounge. It's a place he'd been before. He knew the bartender. He had no reason to be looking over his shoulder and thinking someone was going to do him harm. 
And he had no reason to be looking over his shoulder that someone was going to be like doing harm to him. Yeah, because they say like it wasn't a gay bar, but gay people felt comfortable there because they didn't actually have like an official gay bar in the whole state of Wyoming. Which is so wild to me. Yeah. And my it reminds me of a fr- my friend Johnny Speed who about Planet Rose that uh-huh. we all used to work at where someone on Pride walked in. And Planet Rose is like zebra print couches and hot pink lights and uh-huh. red walls. And it looks kind of like what is going on here? Uh-huh. Like Christmas lights everywhere and like music playing. And someone walked in on Pride and it's in the East Village on Pride and was like, uh, so is this a gay bar? And Speed and Speed is gay. And just said, well, it's not not a gay bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was the perfect answer. And we say it all the time because almost everyone who worked there was queer or some yeah. kind of or something. And it was just like so welcoming. Like, really, like we used to call ourselves like the island of misfit toys. Like, come as you are. Everyone's oh loved. God. So Johnny was like, well, it's not not a gay it's bar. Not, like, not and everyone was like, come bar. on in. <laughs> like, let's all. <laughs> so funny. I love that. But, you know, and, and Jim tells us like everybody had their designated spot that was like their gay bar. Right. And he said he'd been to the fireside a few times. It was nothing really special. And it's not. It's a very casual bar. Yeah. So we we meet Matt Galloway. He does one of those voiceovers. Like he was one of the people that was interviewed. Was interviewed yeah. So he's the fireside bartender and he knew Matt. He said Matt would come in on slower nights and they would just hang out and chat. Yeah. He preferred when it was quiet so that they could talk. Just like talk. he wasn't really there to just like rage. He yeah. just wanted to like sit and chat at the bar. And so that night started out slow, but it gets busier. And Matt says, Matt Galloway, the bartender says. And then later that night, two guys showed up and at the time I didn't have a clue who they were. But they, you know, they looked a little grungy and things like that. Um, ordered a pitcher. And the only reason I remember all this is because they paid for the pitcher with, with change, quarters, dimes, and nickels, which is never a normal situation. It's not really a normal thing. No. So, yeah, of course, you'd remember, like, 25, 50. I know. It's kind of like a thing, right? 55. For, yeah. Oh, d- d- oh I need one more dime? <laughs> Got it. It also means, like, you're probably not getting a tip. I've been a bartender. No, you know you're what not. I mean? When someone is paying an exact change in coins, I... absolutely not. <laughs> so these two guys go over to the pool table area, and Matt Shepard is still at the bar, right? Yeah. So eventually, Matt Shepard makes his way over to the pool table, and our bartender friend Matt is like, that was not unusual. He was very yeah. friendly. He was social. Like, it's not surprising that he'd be like, oh, I'm going to, like, see what's going on over here, and then I'll, I'll check back in in a minute. Like, that wasn't yeah. a weird thing that he, like, ended up by the pool table no, area. No, and I'm just going to say, this to get this out of the way now. And also, if Matt was cruising, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say that again later. Yes, yes. I, I don't, having really studied this, I don't think he was. No. But like some people do and, and some people put that idea out there. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, do, it doesn't matter. Right, it doesn't matter. And the bartender says that Matthew left the bar with these two men. Yes. And he's like, I didn't think twice about it. And I'm like, why would you? Because he says like, I will never let go of that. And I'm like, bartender, Matt, none of this is I your know. fault. I know. But I guess- like, What were you going to do? Like you were going to like be like, hey, Matt, don't leave with those guys. They paid. Right. They and paid in quarters. I don't like that. He'd rightly be like, "You're not my dad. I can do whatever I want." Right. Like it's it's. We're so, gonna get more quarters, Galloway. Right. It's not. No. It's no one else's responsibility. But I can imagine him like just like seared in his brain the yeah. image of Matthew walking out the door and totally. thinking like, "Fuck. Yep. If only I could. I don't know. You just go. You." Beat yourself up for things like that. A hundred percent. So now we jump to October 7th, 1998, 1240 a.m. Yeah. It's shortly after midnight in an area just north of town. A resident wakes up and hears a hissing sound. He goes outside to investigate, sees that someone has slashed his tire, and he calls the cops. Right. There's a cop four blocks from the house where the tire was just slashed. Flint Waters, who is just like, is he not a cop in Wyoming? (laughs) With a name like that, Flint Waters, FBI or whatever. Yeah, yeah. At that time, the officer is about four blocks from the house where the tires were slashed. He sees two guys behaving kind of strangely in this black Ford pickup truck. 
And so he shines a light on him, announces it's police. And then they'd look at each other and back at him, and then they just took off opposite directions. So, like, he looks into the truck, and these two guys just take off. In different directions. Different they direction. look at each other, and they're like, bail? Bail? We're bailing. Yeah, totally. So the cop ends up catching one of them yeah. and arresting him for, quote, interfering with a peace officer. Yeah. Because the guy didn't stop when he was told to stop, and he was, like, actively trying to run away. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom, here we are. That fuckwit is Russell Henderson. <laughs> Now, I heard you say fuckwit in a minute. Let me tell you, yeah. I haven't really. I've been talking to my friend Damien a lot, uh-huh. and he's been using the term fuckwit a lot That's, in our conversations. Very Damien. In the last few weeks, like yeah. everyone is a fuckwit, everything. Like that <laughs> word has been coming up a lot in our conversations. So I thought when I was watching this today, I was like, you know what these two guys are? They're fuckwits. They're fuckwits. Like to the, to the nth degree, they as they say. So, they, it's like the fuckwittiest of all the fuckwits. Yeah. I was going to say they're like herbs, but like dangerous. But like just violent, horrible exactly. people. Exactly. A herb is like, oh, God. Yeah. So this guy that the cop catches up to, his name is Russell Henderson. We learn about Russell. He comes from a family who'd lived in Laramie for a long time. They say by all accounts, he'd been a pretty good kid. He was literally an Eagle Scout. An Eagle Scout. An Eagle Scout. The commitment to the cause of being yeah. an Eagle Scout. Now, I don't know much about, I know that they're like Cub Scouts, and yes. then it's Boy Scouts, and then Eagle Scouts is like the head of, that's like, but I know that's a pretty, it's a major accomplishment when yes. you become an Eagle Scout. There's yeah. like a lot you have to do to do that. 100%. Yeah, like, yeah. They're like MacGyver. They can do anything. Right. Oh, you know? Wow. I know. Except be not a fuckwit if you're Russell. (laughs) And for your badge in fuckwittery. Nice. (laughs) I'm going to tell Damien that he got a badge in In fuckwittery. He'll be like, what the fuck? What did I do? Um, No, he's going to love that. Um, So, but he's also raised, he was raised by his grandmother because we learned his mother, quote, had some issues. We don't get any more details about that. That's just the words they use. He's also dating a University of Wyoming student named Chastity Paisley. Right. And so the Cop notices that Russell has some blood on him. So the officer asks Henderson, what happened to your lip? He tells the officer a pretty confusing story. Russell says that they got jumped by two men who he describes as a white guy and a Hispanic guy, and that they'd been beaten up pretty badly by them. He says that, like, these guys actually beat them up pretty bad. Just a bat and everything, like, really violent. Which I think is true. But the cop wants, because Russell isn't hurt, like, that badly, he wants to know who he was with. Who's the other guy in the car that ran the other way? Because this cop is all about the slash tires. <sighs> I think like, he's going to solve it, Chilean. Like, but This is not going to be the thing that he retires without solving. Exactly. But the, I'm like, he doesn't know about Matthew Shepard. I know. So he's talking to these guys, and he has, like, there's blood on him. And the only reason he was called out into yeah. the world tonight yep. is to check out these slash, slash tires. tires. So that's all he's focused on right now. And all I can think about while this this is all happening is that Matthew Shepard is tied to a fence and freezing to death. Like, like and right nobody at that, knows. at that moment. Exactly. Nobody else but those two fuckwits know. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm going to stop using that <laughs> word. But finally, Henderson comes clean and says, I was hanging out with my friend Aaron McKinney. And he's like, I wasn't, I, you know, he denies being part of the tire slashing. And I'm like, well, of course he wasn't involved. He was out murdering Matthew Shepard. Exactly. That's why he wasn't inv- Like, his alibi yep. is murder. Right. Oh, God. Fuck what? I'm yeah, sorry. I know, I know. So we learned about Aaron McKinney. Right. He grew up in Laramie as well. His parents are divorced. He met Henderson when they were both roofers together. They were. They made roofs. They helped roofs. But my thing about that is that's a hard job. It's that hard like job. you have to be good in order to do it. Like you guys, you're doing okay. What are you doing? Right, right, right. You know? Yeah. Well, Aaron uh, is dating someone named Kristen Price, and they yes. have a baby together. Mm-hmm. And Aaron's mom died a few years earlier. Aaron's mother had died a few years earlier, actually from complications from a hysterectomy. And 
that actually led to him inheriting quite a bit of money through due to a life insurance policy. And unfortunately, uh, he used a lot of that money on drugs and poor behavior. He'd blown through that money on, like, drugs. Yeah, on meth and on alcohol. And so, like, and I'm like, oh, so you're still paying bartenders and change. Exactly. Got it, got it, got it. Right, yeah. And Eric Marcus tells us, like, crystal meth had arrived in Wyoming in the 90s in a big way. It's, like, as debilitating as it is expensive. Exactly. It's just, it's like you can't get out from under it. So And, like, for a guy like McKinney who had, like, money to burn for, you know, a couple of weeks. And so Eric is saying it it makes sense that that Aaron McKinney might have, like, fallen into that lifestyle. Right, of course. So the cops are now looking for... For the two guys that supposedly beat up these two. They're looking for the white guy and the Latino guy, yeah. right? And not not just for slashing tires, but for also beating up Russell and Aaron. Now, right. I don't know how the cops made the connection that these guys did the slashing and the jumping. Yeah. But right now, like, here we are. Right. And so, like, Russell Henderson gets in an ambulance, goes to the hospital. The officer takes a look at the truck. And now, so the officer goes back to the truck that they both bolted from. Because the guys are being treated for their injuries. Exactly. And he sees, like, there's a lot more blood than he knows the first time. And he finds what he describes as, quote, a really, really bloody, bloody gun. gun. And so he's like, all right, these fuckwits, like something happened here. Like <laughs> these fuckwits are lying. <laughs> like they're not telling the truth at all. Yeah. And so they take the gun, which has blood all over it. Now, normally you would need a search warrant for something right, like this. Right, right. But I learned about an exception called the plain view doctrine. Oh, right. Under federal law, there is an exception to the rule that you need a search warrant, which is called the plain view doctrine. If an officer sees a potential piece of evidence in plain sight, they're allowed to take that evidence, preserve that evidence in the event that a crime has been committed. I, this sounds like good policy to me. Yeah, you, they can take a bloody gun let's after also, someone lied a about gun, a gun. Let's get a bloody gun off the streets under any circumstances. And if it's like a hunting situation, yeah. like let's just close that chapter and know 100%. what we know, right? So, but they also find a pair of really nice shoes in the truck and Matthew Shepard's debit card. Right. And they're like, why is someone else? Like, who is this? Like, this is a name we haven't heard in this very long story of what happened to these guys tonight. Exactly. Plus the nice shoes, plus the bloody gun. Like, who is Matthew Shepard? What's going on? Like, yes. says the cops. Who is that? So it's now 7.04 p.m. on October 7th. And they say that some Laramie police detectives are listening to the scanner when Reggie Flutie calls in from the fence to say that the kid that she found is Matthew Shepard. Right. That's how they all make the connection. That, like, the ID in the truck belongs to a kid named Matthew Shepard. And also the poor kid who's been almost beaten to death out on the prairie is also Matthew Shepard. And there's a bloody gun. Right. Now, officers are interviewing Aaron McKinney. Yeah. And he tells them the same story. They were assaulted by the, these two guys, the white guy, the Latino guy, and then they stole the car. And yeah. I'm like, wait, the car you ran away from? Or is that right. a different car? I know. I was very confused by that. But this is like, oh my God. They brought Matthew Shepard to the same hospital where these guys are getting their injuries exactly. looked at, right? And so they're like calling his parents, poor Matthew's parents, to come home from Saudi Arabia. I can't not imagine what that process must have been like for them. They say that they began the journey coming back from Saudi Arabia. Right. And they, they, they know that Matthew was still alive, you know, and yeah. like they're about to get on a plane for what's that 15 I, hours a long time. and not know. And also just like, I, I don't know exactly what, what uh, Matthew's, dad's job entails but it's kind of like I'm leaving now so someone else figure it out yeah like I'm not like putting in for time I'm just leaving exactly to take care of my family so eventually Matthew is transferred to a different hospital that can specialize in his injuries but like for a moment yeah he's in the same hospital as these two monsters who did this to him and the the in the Larry project the doctor who was working on Matthew was working on one uh, of the one of the guys at the same time can I you know imagine 
So it's October 7th, 1998. Jim learns about Matt's attack through an email from a friend. Mm -hmm. So the thing you have to remember is it's only October. Matt started school in September. That's how long him and Jim have known each other. Yeah. Jim has been screaming the gospel of Matthew Shepard since 1997. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that, like, he's been, oh my God, he's been doing it longer than Matthew was alive. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I just did that math. Holy shit. So Jim is the one who's saying that for the gay community, this is terrifying. Like, is there a fucking gay bashing like, right. serial killer out there on the on the loose, you know? And like, I don't know, because these it seems like these guys would have done this to anybody. Sure. Like, it seems like this could have happened again with these particular people. One hundred percent. So Aaron is in the hospital and Russell, the other guy, got a lawyer and he's not talking. So the right. cops are like, let's try the girlfriends. Right. Let's see. <laughs> right. So Chastity is Russell's girlfriend. Russell's the one who got the lawyer. She's like, yeah. I don't know anything about anything. So Kristen... Aaron's girlfriend has a little baby right. and she doesn't want to get in trouble and she doesn't want the baby like to the lose the baby or something. The cops say straight up like think of, be smart here because your kid needs your kid needs one of the parents. And she's like I will start talking immediately. Exactly. If not sooner. Yeah, right. So <laughs> She started talking about what, what had really happened the night before Aaron had crawled through the window that night bleeding from the ear. And he told her I think I killed somebody tonight. I think I killed someone tonight. Holy shit. And he explains that he and Russell Henderson were at the fireside bar. They saw some guy who looked like he had money. They came up with a plan that they would pretend to be gay. Because they then, knew he was gay. Right. Or like he looked gay or whatever they yep. said. They use the anti-gay F word in this a lot. We're not gonna. No, but, of course. You know. What if I was like, well. No. Like, but I'm like, I don't even, I didn't even want to say that they did that. Know, they I talk know. about him so horribly. They say they, they go up to him and eventually he decides to leave with them. Because the plan is, they had this plan, like they'd pretend they were gay too. And then they'd all leave together and then they'd rob him because yeah. again Matthew Shepard to them looked rich and I'm like what because he doesn't have a roll of quarters in his pocket exactly he's not paying for a pitchers of beer and dimes meanwhile your roofers they get paid well like every time you say roofer I think you're gonna say roofie I know <laughs> what does that say but you know after Aaron tells this to Kristen he goes into the bathroom to get cleaned up he's got blood all over his hands she sees him cleaning up a bloody wallet which he puts into a dirty diaper and throws into the trash he's right. like hiding evidence right so Russell that this is the same night as like right after Aaron is cleaning himself up. Russell, the other guy, comes over with his girlfriend, Chastity, and all four of them are talking about what happened and the guys are, like, trying to get their story straight and, like, talk it out with the girlfriend. Yeah, and they decide to get rid of more evidence. They want to take their bloody clothes and burn them in the backyard, but they can't because it's snowing. Right. So they drive into, like, Cheyenne, where they throw them into a dumpster. The cops immediately send cops out searching every dumpster in, in Cheyenne for the bloody clothing, and they fucking they find, find it. it. Also, Russell's shoes were hidden in a shed because they were way too nice to throw out and destroy, I so mean, they were going to just, like, hide them for a while. Oh my god! Until this, what? Till this all blew over, so you can wear your fancy shoes again. And I'm like, are those actually Matt's shoes? Are those the shoes that they stole from Matthew? Like, this is what you're thinking about? You I just know. killed somebody, exactly. And you're like worried, like about saving your shoes. Fuck your shoes. So the the cops go back to the house. They go to the McKinney household where they find his clothes. They're bloody, and then in the dirty diaper, they find a wallet. It's got the driver's license of Matthew Shepard in it. By the end of the afternoon, all three were arrested in connection with what happened to Matthew Shepard. All three are arrested in connection with what happened to Matthew Shepard. Right. So the story is all over the news immediately. Yeah. And there's a press conference and the cops announce that they've arrested Russell Henderson, Kristen Price and Chastity Paisley. But Aaron hasn't been charged yet. But they're like, he's at the hospital. We know exactly what room he's in. We're going to yeah. charge him momentarily. Don't you worry about it. And the sheriff also makes it clear that he thinks what happened to Matthew happened to him because he was gay. And he immediately starts using the word hate crime. Now, here's the thing about that. 
there wasn't any hate crime legislation at all. Exactly. So using the term, like he uses the term hate crime now, but like that was kind of the last time anyone used that term because like using the term means that hate crimes exist. Right. So they didn't want to admit that. And right. so like they used the term hate crime once and then kind of never again. I mean, the rest of us used it for the rest for of the time. For the rest of time. <laughs> but like when describing this case, like yeah. the cops kind of the shied away from that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's October 9th, 1998. It's 1230 a.m. It's two days after Matthew was attacked. Aaron McKinney is released from the hospital. He's immediately taken to Wyoming and into a police interview room yeah. where he just fucking spills the tea. He waves his rights. He's like, I don't I'll need tell a lawyer. You everything. I'll tell you everything. And I think he does that because he's about to tell the cops how he killed this gay guy and he doesn't think they're going to care. Right. I don't think he thinks he's no, going to get in trouble. really? I mean, that's my guess. Why else would he just openly admit to it the way that he did? Because we hear the interview tape, you know? Yeah, he sounds like just like no remorse. Like no. Nothing. Like he's describing like, the, the any, same like thing. his shopping, his grocery list or exactly. something, you know? And it's the same story we've heard. They were broke. They see Matt at the bar. They pretend to be gay. They wanted to get him back to his apartment so they could steal his wallet. Right. And we get this story. They leave the bar and get in the truck, which is Aaron's father's truck. Matthew is positioned in between them in the seat, sandwiched in between them, really. And Russell's driving. And he starts grabbing my leg and grabbing my genitals. Aaron McKinney says he started rubbing my leg and grabbing my genitals. Now, our experts are like, well, this couldn't have happened because two seconds ago you said that you're robbing him and there's a gun out. So, like, why would Matthew the choose The gun was this? already out and you're saying that he's now, like, sexually assaulting you. Now, let me say something. Even if he was coming on to you... You told him you were all gay and you wanted to go party. Exactly. It doesn't fucking matter if yeah. he came on to you or not. Like, yeah. this is not a response to someone. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. I mean, you it, told him, hey, we're all gay. Like, let's go see what we can hey, do. Hey, we're all gay. Like, you want to? Yeah, exactly. Or something. And it's like, okay, well, he thought you guys were going to go party. Right. Even if he did. But I don't believe he did. No. And, it's you know, and once again, it doesn't matter. But, like, the point is McKinney is, is trying to, like, lay the groundwork for his trial eventually because he knows he's going to be arrested for this. And he's trying to say his defense is that this like gay guy came on to me and I lost my shit and I killed him. Right. And that's kind of what happens. Like yeah. that's what he says is happening. That Aaron starts hitting Matthew with the gun and then Russell was driving and then like drives them to what will end up being the site of the murder. And they say like they take him out of the truck, they Ugh. they tie him to the fence and they just say Aaron just started hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. And Aaron admits that he went into a rage. And yeah. he's, he's really saying like he was gay, he touched me, I couldn't see anymore and yeah. my rage took over and like now we're here. I mean he, he says as much. Mm -hmm. We're told that after the beating, Aaron just assumed that Matthew was dead. So he and Russell Henderson jump in the truck and just head back into town. And this is where the, the reporter from Rolling Stone says, There is something of an ironic parallel uh, in the fact that Aaron had just finished brutally beating someone and came into town and then got his own head cracked open. Karma at work, everybody. My God, he thought, like, he just beat this guy almost to death, and then mm -hmm. he comes in and gets beaten almost to death. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, Jesus. And I feel nothing. Yeah. About him. <laughs> so this is now a national news story, right? Yeah. You know, it's in every newspaper, it's on every news channel, all the media just, like, descends upon Laramie, and gay rights organizations, too. Like, they're they're here to amplify the story and show the world this is what's happening. Yeah, the major organization to show up is an organization called GLAD, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and they were part 
particularly present. They were very present in the mm-hmm. late 90s. They still are. Are you kidding? They're, they're still around for sure. Like, Gladys, Gladys definitely a little bit more glitzy now. Oh, for sure. Back in they the have day, a lot of galas. And- yeah, they have a lot of galas. And they, they are more focused on, like, what's in the media, whereas back then they were more focused on, like, shaping media narratives. They're like a watchdog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Romaine actually worked with them for a really long time. But they're on the ground, like, making sure the story is being covered. Right. Also, Jim Osborne's phone is blowing up. Good morning, America 2020. Yeah. Jim says it was a strange challenge to be the spokesperson for all the gay people in Wyoming <laughs> like at guess. once. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Again, it's the 10th largest state. I know. <laughs> like, it's, but you, it's wild because this is like, Romaine and I talked a ton about this. Like in that time, their phones were constantly mm-hmm. blowing up and they worked a lot with Glad because Glad gave them media training. Right. Because they were like, right. you were Matt's friends. This is a town where he's only lived for a couple of months. He didn't know that many people. If anyone's going to get his story out there and there was so much desire to get his story out there, every news program, every yeah. news magazine program, every outlet wanted to know about Matthew Shepard and they would go and talk to all of them. Right. And now Rosie is yes. back because This is so important. She is explaining, like, this was such a turbulent time in her life and her world. I remember the James Byrd situation. The same horror and hypocrisy and evil and systemic racism that allows a black man to be lynched and feeling something has to be done, not knowing what to do. And then right on the heels of that, Matthew Shepard and feeling that same horror. James Byrd Jr. was lynched in Texas. Just before Matthew was murdered. So she is horrified because she's she's just talking about like, how how is this the world we live in where yeah. there's such racism and homophobia and hate? Well, and Rosie, it seems like it jumped into action to sort of amplify the James Byrd story. Right. That was a story that really meant a lot to her. Yeah. Just in case you don't know, James Byrd Jr. was a black man who was murdered by three white men, two of whom were avowed white supremacists in Jasper, Texas on June 7th, 1998. So that was June 7th. And Matthew was murdered on October 6th. Right. They tied him and dragged him behind a pickup truck. Yeah. I mean, it's just... The brutality, (sighs) you know what I mean? Right. You know, and the fact, they'll get more into it later, but because they happened in such close proximity time-wise to each other, it it sort of like ties these two stories together in history. And we'll learn later the families agree and end up working together to make some changes happen. Exactly. So we get this on-screen text that tells us that Matthew, like while Matthew Shepard is in the ICU fighting for his life, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson are charged with three counts of kidnapping, aggravated robbery, and first-degree attempted murder because Matthew is still in the ICU. Because he's still technically alive. And then the girlfriends, Chastity and Kristen, are charged with accessory after the fact to attempted first-degree murder. And all four plead not guilty because, of course. Plead not guilty. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, like, if you, if, I'm sorry, like, Chastity and Kristen, when your boyfriends come crawling the window yeah. with blood all over them and like are, you're helping them figure out where you're going to hide stuff like yeah. come on I mean what do you expect exactly now we get this whole bit about how there's this big backlash against like Laramie as a community and, and then Wyoming as a whole and like everyone's saying that like if you live in Wyoming you must be pulling gay people off the street and beating them to death all the time this probably isn't so uncommon right and then awesome Sarah is just like it's not unique to Wyoming people love to tell you would never happen in this great blue state that I live in. And they're full of 
everyone's full of shit. Like right. this, and I'm like, yes, 100. Like yeah. bad things happen everywhere. Yeah. So she was saying that a lot of people were trying to like be on their high horse. Like this would never happen here. And also, we learned right here that like not only does this not happen all the time in Laramie, but like the people of Laramie really rally to show their support. They say that like hate is not a Wyoming value. Yeah, because three days after the attack, it's homecoming weekend. Yes. And homecoming weekend is now turned into like an anti-hate march because like Arby's was even participating. Yes. Everyone yes. was coming together. Well, because they say that like it was the regular homecoming parade and some activists were doing like a silent march at the end of it. But by the end of the actual parade, more people had joined the silent march than were in the actual right. parade. Like no one's watching. Everyone's just marching. Yeah, yeah. When Arby's gets involved, you know. When the, when the corporate chain gets involved, you know Jim goes, Arby's. Arby's. Or like the Arby's. Capital A, Arby's. <laughs> and he says, and it's so true, I cannot tell you the difference that made as a queer person in this town, knowing that people had our backs and Matt's back. Of course. You know? You know, and like, you know, we get to October 12th, 1998 at 12.53 a.m. We see the news footage of yeah. a reporter telling everyone that Matthew Shepard had died and he is choked up and he can't even say the words like everyone. And, you know, his friends, Jim and Romaine are saying like, we're devastated. We were sort of expecting it, but hoping against hope that we would, this day would never come. And Matthew would like be able to march with us one day. Yeah. I mean, Romaine tells the story that, you know, everyone was hoping it was going to be the story of this like underdog winning. Right. You know? Yeah. And meanwhile, like here we are. So because of this, the charges against Aaron and Russell are now upgraded from yep. attempted first-degree murder to first-degree murder. The same thing with the girlfriend. Their charges, they've been upgraded to first-degree murder. Yeah. And they say that, like, and, you know, you'll know this. If you lived in if you lived in the 90s, you'll remember. Matt's death was a rallying point. People were angry, viscerally angry about what was happening. The only time I can recall before that where there was that kind of outpouring of emotion and rage was when Harvey Milk was assassinated in 1978. Eric Marcus is saying, like, the only other time I'd seen anything like this was when Harvey Milk was assassinated in 78. Yes, yes. You know? So we're in Casper, Wyoming. It's October 16th, 1998. And we're at Matthew's memorial service. And who is here to fucking ruin everything but Fred goddamn Phelps and the Westboro Baptist Church? Jesus Christ. I mean, even calling that, even just saying Westboro Baptist Church is such a... It's so fucking stupid. It's such a misnomer. They're not a church. They're an anti-gay, anti-everything hate group. Super fucking hateful. And, you know, speaking of Harvey Milk, they showed up when Ashley, my best friend Ashley, was teaching down there. At the Harvey Milk school. They came down and there was like two of them. Yeah. And I was like... Welcome, come to New York City I know. and write down an Astor place. Where I, know. I fucking beg you to try it. <laughs> and Ashley was like, it was a nothing burger. But I couldn't believe they still existed. I know. So I looked it up. And uh, as of 2016, which is pretty outdated now, Forbes had stated that they only had about 70 members. Forbes, Forbes is covering them? Forbes is covering. I don't know what the, but that's the, like, Forbes. they figured it Forbes out. Forbes top 70 worst, most hateful churches. But they're all. The list is finally I out. Know, Did we finally, make it? right? But Phelps, like, all of the members are, like, the extended family. Of course. Even though most of the family left. Like, yeah. you guys are, you're nobody. You're I know. fucking nothing. I know. But they, they're just so hateful. They're the, they, like, they're just the meanest, cruelest, most and, vile And, like, people. what they do is they show up with these, like, horrendous, like, homophobic signs covered with the anti-gay F word. They protest funerals. Yeah, they were protesting funerals of, of soldiers. Gay- yes! 
Yes. You know? Like, you know, blame it. You know, God blames you. God hates you. Whatever. Just fucking terrible. It's like Matt in hell. Like, how fucking evil can you be? I know. People are trying to grieve. Leave them alone. But that's the whole point. The whole point was to, like, get the cameras. and Get attention. To get all the attention. And, like, poor Matt's parents have to actually see this. But Romaine and Jim are, like, not on my fucking watch. Right. Because they'll come to funerals and memorials, but they'll also come to trials of these hate crimes. I'm using it. Sorry, Wyoming. I'm saying the term hate crime. Yeah. So, Romaine is like, we have a plan. And then it cuts to commercial. I'm like, oh my God, what's the plan? I know, I know, I know. And then, it was amazing to see this archival footage of Romaine from back then because I had never seen yeah. that. And I was like, and then we cut to April 9th, Russell Henderson's trial. I'm like, no, 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 wait, what happened? Like, I know. Well, what's the plan? No, here's what the plan is. Because what's happening is that Fred Phelps's people are coming back to like protest the trial of Russell Henderson. To, no, 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 to support a murder. Exactly. Let's exactly. call it what it is, yeah. right? So the courthouse is surrounded by media. There are tons of trucks, hundreds of reporters. It is packed, and they're all focusing on Fred Phelps and his fucking vitriol. Yes. But then, oh my God. This oh my God. Everyone pull over because you're going to get in an accident you're going to be crying. Wait. Oh, hero I'm bells. giving an official hero bell. Oh, there they are. So, like, as he's screaming and everyone's focused on him, this, like, this band of angels comes yeah. through the crowd and it's people dressed as angels. And we surround Fred Phelps, we turn our backs to him, and now we're angels. And it worked very well. Fred Phelps can no longer talk to people. He can no longer yell at people. So they just start singing hymnals. And now there's angels with floating wings listening to, you know, beautiful hymns. And it was serene and surreal and just wild. They surround Fred Phelps and they're blocking him and his signs with their wings. So what they did was they they put <gasps> together like PVC piping to make these like enormous wingspan wings. Yeah. So it go like the wings are actually like eight feet tall. And you're, you're, the fabric of what you're wearing is really long. So all you have to do is lift up your arms and exactly. you're totally covering this yep. fucking... And they evil. surround Phelps and then like because what had happened was all the cameras were on Phelps. All the people are talking right. to him. They're spewing their hate. Romaine and Jim and their crew come walking in. They surround them. Yeah. And then the Phelps people can't talk to anybody anymore, no. so they start singing hymns. Yeah. And, and Romaine's, Romaine's like, like, thanks. It was kind of gorgeous. Like, <laughs> these angels standing there, serenaded by these weirdos singing hymns. It was serene and beautiful. Yeah. Like, what, are you going to write, like, a hate-filled hymn? No. Right. <laughs> I'll write on the spot. You guys do improv now? I don't think so. (laughs) So what was supposed to happen that day was supposed to be like the beginning of Russell Henderson's trial. Mm -hmm. But behind the scenes, he had hired an attorney who had had done a bunch of death penalty cases because this is a death penalty case now. And this attorney never wants anything to come to trial. So they, they negotiate this kind of deal behind the scenes. So they come to the judge and they say like, he's agreed to two life sentences. It's just up to you if you're going to do them consecutive or concurrent. Well, I'm like, wow, this judge really pays attention to detail, right? A life sentence is a life sentence. Am I wrong? But the the point is the judge is like, oh, no, no, he's going to do this consecutively. Like, we're not going to give him any, we're not going to give him anything. No. So he's in prison for the rest of his They throw him in prison. They throw away the key. Chastity Paisley, Russell's girlfriend, is sentenced to a year and a half. And Kristen Price, the one with the kid, doesn't serve any time. Yeah. And I think it's Eric Marcus who's like, she just kind of moved on with her life. She just, and I'm like, how do you move on from that? I hope with like a lot of therapy and a lot of like introspection. Self-reflection. Yeah. A little bit. Like, how do you you just move on with your life? My God. I know. But now Aaron McKinney is going to trial and he's facing the death penalty. Yes. And this is where the fucking gay panic defense comes into play. So I didn't realize the gay panic defense was an actual thing that some judges used to let people actually use. The gay panic 
Janet defense being his defense, which and 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 it, I didn't know this in the opening arguments. The his attorney says we're using the gay panic defense, and the judge is like, "Not." The judge on goes my home watch. and he's like, "I don't think so." So what? Like basically, the gay panic defense is saying like, if Matthew, none of this would have happened if Matthew Shepard didn't like touch Aaron Come and gross him me. out. Yeah. And our friend Liam from Queer Therapy NYC says, "Gay panic defense is meant to say that someone's." gay or queer or trans identity is reason enough to harm them. That that is something violent and threatening and is uh, legally permissible to take violent action towards them. Just them existing is something that is violent and threatening, which is forcing you to be violent on them. And Eric Marcus says this was not the first time this was used. And in about 30% of the cases where this gay panic defense is used, people got a reduced sentence. So the minute they try the gay panic defense, the prosecutor very enthusiastically objects. And the judge is like, I'm stunned by this. Like, we're not doing this here. You are not going to make that argument. Like, not on my watch. Absolutely not. What are you talking about? And then Eric Marcus makes the excellent point that women are dodging unwanted advances on a regular right. basis. What, I'm just allowed to start killing people now? Right, he I says if, so. if Aaron Henderson, if it's true that Matthew came on to him, all Aaron McKinney had to do was say no thank you right. the way women have been doing since time immemorial. Now, also, that's a very simplified version because we say no thank you and we get killed. So right. there, yeah, it's like course. the reverse. But the point yeah. is, yeah. people are are dodging things that they don't like or that make them uncomfortable. It's just called being a human exactly. and navigating the world. Like, there's no reason that just someone's existence yes. should make you feel so violent that you're going to kill them. Like, that's bullshit. Exactly. So Aaron McKinney is found guilty after just 10 hours of deliberation. And then this is so crazy. And this is like kind of famous and beautiful because the death penalty was on the table, but the shepherds actually go to the judge and ask that he not be given the death penalty. And Dennis, Matthew's father, speaks. Yes. In an emotional address to the court, Dennis Shepard told McKinney, you robbed me of something very precious. Mr. McKinney, I give you life in the memory of one who no longer lives. May you have a long life. And may you thank Matthew every day for it. It's just, it's such a statement. And like, the, you can hear <sighs> that what you can hear him actually deliver this speech online. Yes. Like the recording of it is out there. We, they didn't play it in this documentary. But it's a long speech. And he's like, it's time for the dying to stop. Right. You know? God. Yeah. So now everyone's hoping that this is finally going to get Washington to do something about hate crimes, right? Like the conversation has been on the table for a long, long time. Now it's time to make moves, right? Hopefully. Bill Clinton is president in 1999 and hate hate crime legislation dies. No one's able to get anything done about it. No. And so like what happens is Judy Shepard decides if anyone's going to get it done, it's going to be me. Yes. And she establishes the Matthew Shepard Foundation. I remember when the Matthew Shepard Foundation was founded because when Matthew was in the hospital and right when he died, the family was getting all of this cash donations, mm-hmm. which they didn't really need. And so Judy took all of that money to start a foundation. And one of the major goals of the foundation was to get hate crimes legislation passed. So right. that, that becomes her mission. And Jim says the foundation is her mission. This is a woman who doesn't like crowds. She doesn't like being in front of people, yet she continued to do it day after day, right. year after year, decade after decade. Yeah. And if you've ever seen her speak in public, it's hard for her. Yeah. And she fucking she does, does it. it anyway. Yeah. I'm sure it's hard on a lot of levels, but I hear what yes. you're saying. It's yeah. just like, like, oh, my God. You know, one year, I can't remember what it was. She was the second most requested speaker behind Oprah Winfrey. I believe it. That wild? I totally believe it. Yeah. And it's not just the Matthew Shepard Foundation, because the Shepherds start working with James Byrd Jr.'s family. The combination of the horrific racism of James Byrd's death and the homophobia in Matthew's, I think, are forever linked. They're forever linked 
emotionally and morally, and uh, that they're linked together as we all, you know, move forward for equality in this country. They're both hate crimes, so they're thinking like both of these stories had so much attention and on them. Let's work together. So close to each other, right? They, already, people kind of tied those stories together. Let's work together and get this done, right? And October twenty eighth, two thousand nine, President Barack Obama signed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act into law. Right. I just have a question though, like when no legislation is happening, what's the other side of it? Like, who's voting against hate crime legislation? Oh like, my God! When, what, I'm really asking. Oh, it's special rights, Jillian. It's not equal rights. It's special rights. Oh, okay. You know. I mean, is that, it? Is that, that it? like that's the argument? It's okay. like why are we murder is a hate crime? If you hate somebody, you if you murder somebody, you hate them is what they say. I see. You know, so it doesn't matter if you hate them because they're black or exactly. because they're gay. Like yes. that doesn't matter to those people. That's those, what they say. Yeah, because yeah. I'm sitting here thinking like who? What's the other side? Like what's who the problem doesn't want here? That? Right? Who doesn't want to really? Like I, I just don't understand it. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really not for us to understand. Why guess, would we understand uh, why it? Would Do you know we what get I mean? It? Oh my god. So everyone, like, it took all this time. I love that we just <laughs> zoomed right by George W. Bush and all that. <laughs> Um, So it it took, you know, 11 years and everyone is kind of thinking there's like a little bit of hesitance, but it's like, yay, like Mm -hmm. we're protected now. Isn't this a good thing? And like 2010, Obama gets rid of don't ask, don't tell. And 2015, same sex marriage is legalized and like the ban on gay adoption is dropped. And everyone's like, everything's great. Well, no turning back. It'll never be bad. It's like womp womp because Eric Marcus is like, (laughs) it was a step in the right direction. It was a step in acceptance. And I let my guard down thinking that things are only going to get better. And I've lived long enough to see multiple waves of progress and backlash. I should have seen it coming, and I didn't. I should have seen this coming, and I didn't. Because in 2016, Trump is elected. And it's election night, and everyone was terrified, wondering, like, what's going to change? What's he going to do? What's he going to undo? Yeah. How far back are we going to go here? And we get this laundry list of all the things that happened. Like, so there's, like, the bathroom bill in 2016 where that barred trans students from using the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity. Yeah, don't say gay. People are taking trans rights away. People are accusing parents. It's just, it's a horrible fucking time. And it's yeah. like, these people are, are explaining that... It felt like there was so much hope and there yes. was and good things were happening. And then it I just mean, this felt is like why voting is so important. This is why the, the best thing you can do is, yeah. as an activist is to vote. Right. And now you we know? have like, you know, the mass shootings at gay bars and clubs. Right. And it's like what like w- like the whole point, like this ends really with everyone saying, like, we just have to keep fighting. You just got to put we, one like, foot in front of the other and we, keep fighting. You just have to keep visible. You have to keep these stories visible yep. and like have the conversation and vote also. Yes. Everyone and vote. vote. Oh, like, my God. Oh, Let's end on that. Go vote. Go vote. <laughs> Register if you haven't vote. already. Oh, girl, what's it called? It's called Matthew Shepard and American Hate Crime. It's on ID, and as of October 17th, it'll be on Max. Oh, my goodness. Fam, join us on the Patreon. Every month you get four full ad-free bonus episodes. There are over 400 full ad-free bonus apps to go download and binge right this second. Right this minute. We do ad-free versions of these episodes. There's after parties. There's, we send you stuff in the mail. It's so much fun over there. It's a party, if I do say so myself. It's a party. It's a little bit of a party. Uh, What are we doing next, girl? So we are doing the murder of John Lennon. Oh, Um, my. It's an episode of a show called Crimes of the Century, oh, weirdly enough. Um, wow, check out Amber's podcast. But, but there's no relation. <laughs> there's no, no relation. relation at all. It's yeah. just two really good shows that yeah. happen to have yeah. a similar name. This is, is also on Max. We've done the series before, but yes. this is um, The Murder of John Lennon. Oh, my goodness. All right, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Um, our funny and hilarious outtakes. There might not be any this week. I this don't know about the outtakes a, here. I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe there's something. Um, we'll so I'll find one funny thing. Just me going, but. But. Ooh. But. Butts. <laughs> 
Butts. Butts. Butts with a Z with or a Z. with an S? With a T-Z-S. Okay. And that's it, fam. We love you so much. <laughs> we just got an outtake out of Clear Blue Sky, didn't we? Just whoop, right out of thin air. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. One was world-renowned among the greatest musicians of the 20th century. John Lennon had charisma. He was just special. John Lennon was my favorite Beatles. The other was a lonely kid from Georgia with no particular talents and no real direction in life. Everyone said he was a nice person. He wanted to bring attention to himself. They were as different as night and day. Two men on intense personal journeys that converged in a single shocking act. I took five steps and fired five shots. I literally held John Lennon's heart in my hand. It was an unthinkable crime that left millions in mourning. The murder of John Lennon. Look, I have the most heteronormative kid you can imagine. <laughs> Last night we told her to put on her pajamas. She came out in her Queen Jasmine costume Stop. and like started belly dancing. Oh my God. She was getting into makeup now. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. You learn to be the parent for the kid that you have. Sure. And because they're yours, you love them anyway. Exactly. Did you hear what's going on in Paris with the bed bugs? I have heard. My neighbors are going for vacation. I'm like, Why? you guys need to detox before you come back into this building. Like, seriously, I know, though. I know. Everyone's saying it was fashion week in Paris. Are you shocked? I had no idea. <laughs> what? But I, I I was seeing people on social media being like, okay, so everyone's going to Paris for fashion week, everyone. Yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. in a certain scene. And then they're coming back to their respective cities and probably like bringing bed bugs. No, so, Adrian and Juliana, don't do it. Five, five six, seven. Seven, eight, bed bug oh, God. infestation is happening. Five, six, seven, eight, bed bugs infestate. I get some lip from Mike about my music taste, and especially if I've had a few in me. I'm uh-huh. like, we can pass that. We can skip this on. We can go right to Taylor Swift again. We can go right to Beastie Boys again. Whatever. Oh my God. Anyway. But butts.